0: Everybody, welcome to the Badgerland Birding Podcast, bringing you birding news and stories from the Badger State, which is Wisconsin and beyond. Today, we're with our friend Alex Harmon to talk about birding in Oklahoma. So Alex, you want to tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you're up to these days?
1: Sure. So I'm a graduate student at Oklahoma State University. Uh, Most of my background is actually in etymology. So I'm in uh, the entomology department, I study insects. Um, I'm the insect diagnostician, so whenever anyone in the state has a mystery insect, they can send an email to me, and hopefully I can identify it for them. Um, but I'm also an avid birder. I started birding in my undergrad, and I've been doing it for about eight,
0: seven years now. So, That's pretty cool, the big bug guy on campus, then. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, not only on campus, though, we always... um our group of friends constantly send him pictures of insects over Facebook Messenger. We're just like, Alex, what is this? And um, if you've been watching our channel for a while, you might remember Alex from when we went to Oklahoma and did some birding around the area, which I think it's funny because every area we go, you know, we go birding in the best spots and like the most exciting places. So I have a very positive view of Oklahoma. So I was like, that place was wild and awesome all the time.
1: Yeah, I mean, we went to some great spots that i'm sure we'll talk about during this podcast so looking forward to it
0: okay so first of all you started with bugs how did you then get into birds was it like you were watching a bug and then a bird ate it and you're like oh what bird is that (laughs) that That thing seems better than the insects
1: (laughs) so um i got into both um mostly due to my grandma so she taught entomology and she taught ornithology so i had that background growing up we'd go down to the mississippi river in the winter time and look at the bald eagles roosting but I never really got super into it um, until winter of my freshman year of college because usually in the winter I'd be inside pinning all the insects that I collected over the summer identifying them curating them that sort of stuff Uh, but all of those were at home so I needed a new hobby to do in the winter time at college so I had an extra pair of binoculars lying around and decided to start looking at birds.
0: And it went from there. What was kind of the first one you saw that made you get into it? So kind of my spark bird, so to
1: speak, um, I always kind of designate as a hooded merganser. So I was driving between um, Dodgeville and Baraboo along the Wisconsin river there. There's a lot of little like lakes scattered all around there. And I saw this weird looking duck, uh, black and white with a cool crest and everything. And I had no idea what that was. Um, It flew off before I could get some pictures of it. But I looked through bird guides and came up with a few possibilities. um, Bufflehead hooded merganser. I wasn't super familiar with duck ID at the time. So in hindsight, figured out it was a hooded merganser. But That uh, encouraged me to join the Birding Wisconsin Facebook group or Birds of Wisconsin or whatever it was at that point in time. And that kind of exposed, yeah, I know it changes (laughs) (laughs) every single year, it seems. Um, But that got me exposed to birders and birding in general. And I saw all the other cool stuff that was out there. And I was like, oh, I really should be looking for some of this.
0: Yeah, I do think when you're interested in one, it just kind of gets you outside, and then you start looking at everything else. So you're also big into herping, you know, finding reptiles and amphibians, too. So I feel like when one thing makes you go outside, you're like, dang, there's all this other cool stuff out here, too.
2: Yeah, I feel like when you go, you know, looking for birds or whatever, then all of a sudden you stumble across like a cool snake or something. You definitely, you know, it's that whole experience of being out in the nature that's even more fun. I think we started, we were into like fish, and we were into reptiles and amphibians, and then we were into owls and then birds were kind of like one of the last things that we were actually probably
0: into when we were kids, at least um, for us. Have you gotten into fish yet? Is that common? I have not. Um, I'll, if I see a dead fish on the side of
1: a riverbank or I catch one like in a dip net or something, I'll take a picture of it, put it on to iNaturalist, but I haven't really gotten super into them yet.
0: Maybe the I know the waters at least down in like Louisiana are so muddy. It's a hard thing, you know, from land to get into. You need to go to some clear water spots, and then you can do some fish watching from the shore. Then you can pin them just like insects. Uh, know, no, out, uh, 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 let's not do that. Um, you can so, cook them
2: though. <laughs> like, <laughs> you could cook. What you can is. have a different kind of life list.
0: Yeah. So. The Oklahoma birding scene. So we went down and we went to really cool places like Gloss Mountain, Wichita Mountains, just some beautiful scenery places that kind of seemed like classic Oklahoma. When you think of Oklahoma, there's like, you know, these rolling, well, I guess not rolling. I feel like when you think of Oklahoma, you actually
2: just think of nothing. You think it's flat. I don't know. I think plateaus. He's laughing. Look at he knows. I think personally I'm just gonna throw it out there. I feel like most people that have never been to Oklahoma think that Oklahoma is boring and flat and hot and dusty.
1: Hot and dusty for sure. Um, boring and flat depends on where you're at. So like once <laughs> you get into and the, flat the, depends on where you're at. And that's the state slogan. <laughs> Hot and dusty. <laughs> um, like as you're driving out west, once you get into the Oklahoma panhandle, that's about three hours of boring and flat. Um, but it's a lot hillier than I expected in much of the state. And you get into the east and you even have the Ozark Mountains and the Washita Mountains and in the southwest, you have the Wichita Mountains. There's some pretty nice scenery if you're in the right area.
2: Yeah, I think we should do like a recap of that trip because the thing about that trip it was really fun. I remember we did it road trip style. So we drove like how many hours was that? I
0: don't know. It was a lot. It was a
2: lot of hours. And we were finally starting to get into Oklahoma and it was getting late in the day. And I remember one of the things that was super cool was we found a box turtle in the road. I think it was, it was an ornate box turtle,
0: wasn't it? Yeah, and so we moved that out of the road on and the way That was, like, in. on
2: the way into Oklahoma, and then we got to your place at, like, 1 a.m., Well, I think. before
0: we even did that, we started seeing the scissor-tailed flycatchers on the power lines, and it was, like, in the meadows, and we saw some of the, like, oil derricks, too. Like, the oil, you know, things that pump the oil. You're like, yeah, we're getting into Oklahoma now. There's yeah. scissor-tailed flycatchers, there's oil... Well, this There's is funny turtles. because
2: when you go to just different regions, I mean, Oklahoma in the grand scheme of things isn't that far away from Wisconsin, really. But the stuff that's there in terms of the flora and the fauna is so vastly different. So we get in there and we're just like, wow, this is a completely new environment altogether.
1: Yeah, I'd,
2: I'd agree with that. <laughs> I
0: thought
2: you were going to have like a um, very polarizing viewpoint there because it looked like you were really, you know. Taking your time with the response, but then no. Um,
1: No, no. I was just just listening to the whole thing. I had that exact same experience when I came to Oklahoma for the first time from doing field work in Nebraska. You get to about mid-Kansas and suddenly all the parking lots have great-tailed grackles and you see the scissor tails pretty much every fence post. And you're just like, wow, not in the upper Midwest anymore.
2: Yeah. Do you remember what the first thing we did was the next day? Yeah. We got in late, and then the next day we, we started. Early. I know we hung out
0: around
1: Stillwater for a while, which was cool. We got, course, we, we got correct. kicked out of the cross country course. We did. I remember. Kicked out of the cross country
2: course. I was just talking to someone about that the other day because somebody was like, "What's one time you had like a really odd run-in with somebody else?" And I was like, "The cross country course," because yeah. there was a guy like curating it, and
1: he's like, "You guys better get out of here." And I think it's public, isn't it? It is, and it's open like every weekday. Now they have a whole schedule at Locks when it's not open. So if it's not open, you can't even get into it. I don't know what his problem was that day. You got really mad uh, at but, and then after, yeah. fought, he was like guilty though. Do you remember that? He was like, I do. Was it was very odd, and I've never ran into that interaction there before or
0: since. So yeah, so congrats. The story was we were doing some birding. We were going to the cross country a likely and, spot when we went, we went inside and then the guy came and yelled at us for being there said they were doing something doing some kind of maintenance or something but so it was he, didn't he say that it like it was open you guys keep tearing it up or something like i don't know we it seemed were there like right he was early. like something was bothering him already but marital problems i don't know basically he was yelling at us for being there and then eventually we were like we're just birding he's like oh, i guess you guys are fine but at that point we're just like let's just go i don't really feel comfortable being here so then yeah. yes. i left and went somewhere else yeah, where'd we, well, we stopped by the little power plant because that's where the scissor tails were
1: nesting and the Western Kingbirds were nesting, uh right next to my apartment.
0: Mm. Yeah.
2: Was it funny for people to be there like geeking out over that stuff after you were established in that area? Were you kind of like, ha, rookies?
1: Not really, because everyone who comes down here has that wow, scissor-tailed flycatchers moment. And then they see them everywhere. I, I still get excited when I see the first ones of the spring and they start showing up and down. They're an objectively cool bird, even if they're common.
0: Yeah, like how could you get tired of ever seeing one of those? They're just so cool. Uh, yeah. I did feel like it, it was very quiet, like on campus, because it was the time when school wasn't in session. So it was like there was not a lot going on. I'm like, we're out here looking at birds. That one guy yelled at us. Other than that, there's not much going on around town.
1: Yeah, it definitely clears out here during the summers. So that was a good time to be out and about
2: birding. Yeah, and then I think that day we went we went to that one lake. I don't remember what it was called.
1: Lake Carl Blackwell.
2: Yeah, yeah that one. And then we got our first
1: look at uh, Mississippi kites, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And I think we got a brief glimpse of a painted bunting there too. But then we ended up seeing those better down in the Wichita's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And was that the same day we did
2: Gloss Mountain? Yeah. Yeah. So Gloss Mountain, because I doubt a lot of people listening have heard of it before. Would you say it's one of the best hotspots in Oklahoma? Or would you say it's just the uniqueness of it makes it worth a visit?
1: It's the uniqueness. It's also like a really good insect hotspot. There's a lot of cool bugs there. It's good herping. Um, It's not really heavily birded because you get the painted buntings there you get the rufous-crowned sparrows there um but a lot of those can be found elsewhere in areas with more rare stuff so honestly it's not one of our top hotspots i'd say
0: but it's basically just like you're driving and it's this big plateau that you can climb up and um wasn't it originally called Glass Mountain? Well, I think have... there
2: was a cartography error where they, it was supposed to be Glass Mountain, but it got read as Gloss Mountain. And so now people call it both.
0: But it has these like little shards that look like glass. A gypsum crystal, yeah. I
2: believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. It yep. really, and it was really cool because it is glassy. So there's some areas where it does just look like it's shimmering and shining. And there's stairs that actually take you to the top of um, whatever the
0: the like, form is the... called. It's a plateau, right? Or do they call it something? Yeah. Or like a mesa, I guess. Mesa. Yeah. It's a little bit smaller. And then there were like collared lizards and tarantulas on top of it. So that was really cool. Now, too. Like
2: so you and the tarantulas is always hilarious to me, especially because there's such a large contingency out there, of people that don't like spiders. And you're always just like, hey, tarantula, cool. And then it'll climb on you. <laughs> I was telling somebody about it once. And I was like, yeah. And then he just like picked it up and, you know, climbed on him. And he was like, yeah, here it is, tarantula. And they were just like about to vomit. But I was like, they're pretty friendly little guys.
1: Yeah, they're mostly harmless. Like, if they bite you, it's supposed to just feel like a bee sting, but I've never been bitten by one. So, usually, you you can just pick them up. What?
2: How many of them have you handled?
0: Say
1: 20 to 30 or so. Never been bit. It's actually less than I thought it would be.
0: I thought it would be like,
1: a couple hundred. I really don't come across them that much. We were lucky with how many we saw, especially when we went down to the wichita mountains because we saw like seven or eight of them crossing the road there
0: yeah and so we did Lost mountain the one day next day we do wichita mountain i think so but i remember before that um that day we were in
2: stillwater we went to the insect uh blacklight areas the insect traps
1: yeah so we did a little bit of looking for bugs too um there's a area in stillwater a place called insect adventure where we have a lot of like live tarantulas and walking sticks and things like that that we use for outreach, and there's a little black light trap that is just running every single night there. So it brings in insects that are attracted to it, and then they fall into this little cage that's tall enough that people can walk into it. So you just go in there and you can see
0: all these cool nocturnal insects
1: that you otherwise wouldn't get a chance to see.
0: Yeah, and I think Ryan really appreciated being with someone who really knew their bugs well. Cause it's so much more fun when you have one just like Alex, what's this? I was just <laughs> about to this? say
2: that actually. Like being with someone that's knowledgeable and passionate about a topic makes it so much more enjoyable to learn about that topic. So I remember we went into the insect trap and we would just be like, What's this one? What's that one? And you'd be like, Oh, that's one of these. And then you'd just
0: like stick it onto us. Be like, here you go. And you'd like put it on <laughs> us and be like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and there was the best yep. beetle that you described as like the Cadillac of beetles. It was a shiny and black smooth beetle. Yep. I think we also got the grapevine beetles because they have the really sharp claws and just kind of cling to you really well. Yep. Yeah, Yeah. those were that cool. was fun. Um, yeah. Going on to Wichita Mountains, that one, as opposed to Gloss Mountain, had like way more forest and like kind of lush areas to it. And I remember when we came in, uh, that bison got really close to our car. it was just chilling there. And I remember even in the video, someone was like, good job not getting rammed by that bison. I'm like, we were not going to get close to that thing. That was very intimidating. Yeah, that's a really cool place. So the Wichita Mountains
1: is this like uplifting of granite in southwestern Oklahoma. And it's just these big rounded, I guess they're mountains, hills. Probably someone from out west will make fun of me for calling those mountains, but they're pretty big for mountains or hills in Oklahoma. Um, And it has, like, it has a lot of kind of forested areas with a lot of like cedar trees. Um, Bird-wise, it has some kind of Western disjunct things, um, such as the rufous crown sparrows. Um, But the big highlight in the summer are the black-capped vireos, which only breed in central Texas and the Wichita Mountains, pretty much.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that's got to be one of the actual specialty species of Oklahoma, I think, just because that's really the only place other than in Texas where you can find that species, which fortunately we actually were able to find, which was really cool.
1: Nice. Yeah, that was fun because we saw the one
0: deep in the bush and then did, didn't did we end up seeing one better later or? Yeah, we we had one pop out a male for a bit, so we we actually yeah. got pretty good views and then we did have the painted bunting earlier, which was exciting. White-eyed vireos were there, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. There's the oh, cat. There's the cat. Here's my cat. <laughs> this the is Marble. Name? Marble? Marble. Nice. Yeah.
1: We'll put you back down
2: here. I love how anytime somebody has a pet on, they've made an appearance.
0: Good job keeping your cat inside, Alex. <laughs> Thanks.
1: Yeah. He's not catching any birds in here. They're very good
0: yeah so what i wanted to ask
2: is you've been part of the wisconsin birding scene and the oklahoma birding scene what is it like in oklahoma in terms of how connected all of the birders are is there a big you know group is it a small group what's the whole thing like
1: i'd say there's a fairly active group of birders in oklahoma i don't know exactly how the numbers compare oklahoma versus wisconsin um But I'd say they're comparable and pretty well connected. So like, um, at least in Payne County, we have a lot of us who are birders that are at Oklahoma State. So there's a good handful of professors that either teach ornithology or even other things like psychology that are very active birders. And then there's a lot of grad students that cycle through that either work with birds or just have an interest in birds like me. And we all communicate pretty fast whenever like something rare shows up, or if there's a guided bird walk with the Payne County Audubon Society, we try to get a lot of people on those. Um, at the state level, there's a couple of Facebook groups that we use to communicate. You obviously get your rare bird alerts on eBird to see what's been seen around. Um, but yeah, I'd say there's a pretty active group of birders, especially around the Tulsa, Stillwater, and Oklahoma City areas. But there's Oftentimes folks going out to the panhandle to bird and other places like that too.
0: When you mentioned the professor's birding, I just pictured a guy like after school, like a student coming up being like, hey, do you have my test graded? And he just like goes into his drawer, pulls out a pair of binoculars and says, nope, going birding. Yep,
1: there's um, one of the professors goes birding pretty much every morning and every lunch break. So he's out there every day. He finds a lot of the good stuff in Dane County. Interesting.
2: Is it tricky birding there? Because I'm assuming that there's so many areas of the state that are different habitats that are kind of in the corners of it. So like, you know, Wichita is in the southeast Wichita Mountains. Southwest. Southwest. And then you have the panhandle area. Is it kind of tricky to get around everywhere?
1: Yeah. So like there's a guy who did a big year in the state last year. And depending on where Rarity showed up, Like he was in Oklahoma City, so he was pretty much smack dab in the middle of the state. And he'd still have weekends where he'd have to drive five, six hours out to Black Mesa at the far western end of the state um, to get some of the rare birds that show up there. And on the flip side, four hours in the other directions puts you at Red Slough Wildlife Management Area, which is essentially like a little piece of like the Gulf Coast stuck into oklahoma so it's got anhingas it's got neotropic cormorants it gets um purple gallinules and uh, roseate spoonbills and things like that so it's a really long state as far as driving is concerned so there's a lot of ground to cover
0: yeah i always wondered what it was like doing a big year in a state like texas compared to doing a big year in a state like rhode island
2: i would love to do a rhode island big year although you'd probably spend most of your time watching the ocean
0: it'd be interesting um but having been in oklahoma for a bit do you have a top five places to bird in oklahoma i do
1: and i figured you would ask that so i have a list you've Wonderful. done your research we...
2: didn't you you listened to what
1: we. i did i there. listened to the last podcast and we love
0: it was hoping
2: you're yeah. like i'm not gonna waste any time in getting this put together because you didn't well, want to be caught off guard. And I appreciate that.
1: I just didn't want to miss anything. Like I would feel so bad if I was like listening to the podcast later and I was like, Oh, how did I forget the Wichita mountains or something like that? So you'd put on the spot, um, uh, bird in Oklahoma city. That's it. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So I would say the top two hotspots, um, for me by far, are Red Slough Wildlife Management Area and the Black Mesa area. So Red Slough, far southeastern corner of the state, it is the highest species count hotspot in Oklahoma, and it just gets all sorts of rare southeastern things that are fairly common there. In addition to birds, there's like alligators and things like that. Um, But it also gets weird vagrants. Um, There's been hurricanes that have brought up like Gulf Coast, like, terns and seabirds and things like that. Currently, there's a pair of vermilion flycatchers there right now, which is just kind of random. Um, on the flip side, Black Mesa is kind of in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So that's getting the things like Woodhouse's scrub jay. Um, during the winter, it gets, like, black-billed magpies, Stellar's jays, juniper titmouse. In the summer, there's hepatic tanagers, um black-throated sparrows things like that wow that's, that's crazy cool. so those are definitely at the top two just because of how wildly different they are while still being in the same state um i'd say the wichita mountains is my third um just the scenery and everything else that's there good birding i went down there this summer and had a zone-tailed hawk as well which was a lifer for me and cave swallow They apparently nest on the structures all around the Wichita Mountains. And I did not realize that when you guys were down. Otherwise, we probably could have got cave swallow there. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: But there's been a pair of zone tail hawks that's been breeding there for two or three years now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, In fourth place, I would say Great Salt Plains. This is in the same general area as Gloss Mountains, um, but it is just a giant salt flat. Um, and it's got a lot of wetlands there. It's a national wildlife refuge. So it gets tons of shorebirds during migration. Um, it's one of the more reliable areas in Oklahoma to see whooping cranes. You get tens of thousands of sandhill cranes, tens of thousands of waterfowl. Um, snowy plovers breed there. Least terns breed there. So as far as waterfowl and shorebirds are concerned, that's probably the best spot for those in Oklahoma. Um, and then lastly, I have the tallgrass prairie preserve. Um, it's in the northern part of the state. It's the largest remaining tract of tallgrass prairie, and it's got a lot of your tallgrass prairie specialists like greater prairie chicken. Um, it has lots of dick sissels. It's one of the few places in the state you can regularly get henslow sparrow. Um, in the winter, it gets trumpeter and tundra swan sometimes. Um, so it's just a cool place all around to bird. They have a huge bison herd there. And it's wild to see this habitat that at one point took up a good portion of the central United States, even into southwest Wisconsin, that for the most part doesn't exist anymore.
0: Awesome. That sounds like a pretty thorough list. Yeah, that sounds like a great I list. I have to ask how tall is the tall grass and the tall grass prairie? Are we talking like Jurassic Park velociraptor scene tall or? I mean, I'd say above my
1: head, sure. Um, I'd say... A lot of it is six, seven feet tall
0: at its tallest. That's neat. Yeah. I, like, There's a Henslow Sparrow in there somewhere.
1: Heard only for the most part. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I did a lot of field work there uh, for my research. So I was out sweep netting this tall grass that's like taller than me for grasshoppers, which when they have that much of an area to live in, you don't catch very many.
0: But, did you, you ever try. accidentally just swoop a Henslow Sparrow in your net?
1: I did not. No, they managed to avoid me. But (laughs) I did have some right next to one of my transects, and they weren't real happy about me getting so close to the nest.
0: Yeah, that checks out.
2: So you covered the spots to bird. Now I have to ask you, what do you think? I'm going to say top five, but if you don't have a top five, what are some of the best birds to get in Oklahoma?
1: So I would say looking at best as things that are kind of regionally unique, and showy and things that people want to see. Um, I'll start out with scissor-tailed flycatcher. Of course, it is our state bird. It is a spectacular kingbird with really long tails, um, and they are everywhere. You will not go to Oklahoma in the summertime and not see a scissor-tailed flycatcher. Um, they have this nice like salmon pink patch on like their wing pit, armpit, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And they're just really fun to watch as they like sally out and catch insects and land back on their perch. They're just very photogenic and fun birds to watch. Um, Secondly, I have, I made a list for this one too. I plan in ahead. Painted bunting. I know it's a little bit more widespread in the south, but they're pretty easy to find in Oklahoma. Very colorful. Um, So that's just kind of an all around good bird. Um, third, we discussed it a little bit with the Wichita Mountains, but black Vireo, just because it is so range-limited, and they're fairly easy to get at the Wichita Mountains. Um, fourth, I have Greater Prairie Chicken. They're at the Tallgrass Prairie Preserve, kind of an iconic prairie species. Really cool to see. And then fifth, there's a couple of different birds that winter in the Southern Great Plains that can be challenging to get outside of the Central Flyway. Um, Smith's longspur is one of them. I I'm not choosing that because they are terribly difficult to see. Like they're fairly common around the stillwater area. Um, uh, but 95% of the time you just hear them flying over. Maybe you see a little speck of a bird, but they're very difficult to see well. So I'm choosing Harris's sparrow um as number 5.
2: Very good. I cool. do think um cuz we talked to Tiffany Kirsten A while back when she was doing her big year, she mentioned trying to go to Oklahoma to see um, the Smith's Longspurs. And Yeah,
1: she got them at Sooner Lake, uh, which is about a half hour north of Stillwater. It's this huge lake. There's a power plant there. You can walk out into the prairie and here in some pasture land and probably the most reliable spot in the state for Smith's Longspur.
0: Can you just tell me where anyone found anything in Oklahoma? I'm like this guy this species where did he get it
1: no um but she was actually birding with one of the professors here that like helped show her like where to get smith's longspur so i remember that distinctly
2: yeah so and we get Smith's longspur here uh, like one or two every spring it seems like so they move a little bit but they're actually one of my favorite birds because it's such a distinctive facial pattern that the males have and then just that peach color is a color you don't really see that much in bird species around here at least
0: yeah
1: i've had them in indiana too
0: cool yeah they
1: are iconic enough we made them oh, the there
0: you go Payne
1: county audubon society logo that's pretty
0: cool i like that shirt i've, I've got to get one of those yeah you can get them on our website. Awesome! What's the website? Just Payne County Audubon. Yeah, just Google that and you can find it. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, close up. enough. Um, also, gotta mention this is the flycatcher, state bird of Oklahoma, on the state yep. border. So well represented there. Probably one of, of the best. State bird. One of the best state birds for sure. Oh, definitely.
2: Yeah. It's not like no offense to the common ones, but like chickadee, cardinal, robin. Just the repeats. Like,
1: you know the, Every single southern state that has northern mockingbird as its state bird, like,
0: come on. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> just stop it. If yeah. anything that really needs to be updated, it's probably the state birds.
2: That's actually true. Yeah, they should probably update all the state birds.
0: Yeah, I know there was that study that came out. I don't remember what organization did it, but they gave each new state like a hypothetical state bird based on actual data. So it's like, oh, 64% of the species breeds in this state. So like that should be the state bird for this one. And it was actually like pretty well thought out. It was cool. That's neat. Um, so do you have a favorite memory of seeing just, you know, a bird or a rare bird in Oklahoma?
1: I wasn't prepared for this one. Oh, I will say. It's a tough um, question. Yeah. I've seen a lot of cool birds here. Um, one that, it's one of the more recent ones, but. One that I do really like a lot is I was out at in the Black Mesa area uh with my sibling this spring. And at that point, one of my top nemesis birds was Black Throated Sparrow. Uh for those who aren't familiar, black-throated sparrow is this kind of gray sparrow with some really bold, like black and white facial marking. So it's a little showier than like your average sparrow. Uh, and they just breed in this one little area around Black Mesa. Um there's a Easter pageant set up there, kind of like at the Wichita mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, It's at the edge of some hills. And we were just walking around, like, listening for them, pitching a little bit. And I heard one nearby. So I was like, okay, let's, like, get down. I'll, like, pitch for it, try and find it. Emerson has the really big camera. So I was like, you just be on guard and, like, be ready to take pictures. So I pitched a little bit. And this male shoots out from the bush lands like four feet next to the side of us and like just slowly turns and gets a handful of photos off before it goes back into the bush um and those photos turned out great it was an amazing way to kind of eliminate like a nemesis bird that i had been trying to get out of black mesa for two or three years at that point so that was a really fun one
2: derek what was your moment like that if we're gonna put him on the spot then you should be on the spot too for what just a, what was your in like, Oklahoma no just well yeah let's go Oklahoma since you're talking about it. what was the one that you saw in Oklahoma that you're like
0: yes I mean I think uh I think for me it was probably like the painted bunting because that was one that I'd seen you know it's on the cover of the Stokes like guide to birds that, that we is have, one of like, those
2: birds that doesn't look realistic because it kind of looks like a child painted it yeah like why would you ever put those colors it's just together? like
0: it's such a iconic bird when you're paging through the bird book that it just sticks out so much so when we got really good views of those at the wichita mountains i think that was like for me one of the top experiences in oklahoma um and i think that's one where they're in a lot of states but they're not necessarily easy to see because they're like in louisiana but i didn't see them very often when i was down there. they
2: show up in like south carolina so when i would go to hilton head i would always keep an eye out for them and i could never get one
0: yeah they can be can be tricky for sure
2: yeah what was yours? It was probably the black cap Vireo because going back to talking about the black cap Vireo, we were walking along this river in the Wichita Mountains and we kept hearing Vireo chatter. And we were not super familiar at the time with Vireo noises in general. So we were like, oh, that sounds like Vireos. Like, let's follow them. And we kept trying to get looks at them and they turned out to be white-eyed Vireos. And then we saw one that was deep in a thick bush and we got like pictures and videos of it. And it looks like it's probably a juvenile black capped but it's like kind of a weird looking bird Um, and it would have been very unsatisfying to call that one um, like the lifer even though I think it was that but then we went on to this other place where we were kind of like climbing on some boulders and that one just popped out so it was kind of like a relief because it was like you get your definitive
0: lifer looks, not like this weird hanging Chad lifer. Yeah. Like, probably was it, but I I do feel like I appreciate those views more kind of now learning more about black cap theory and kind of like how rare it is to find. There was one that showed up in Louisiana in the Southwest corner that some people did get to see me and my friend were going to Texas. So we stopped there, but we like barely had any light left and we missed it. But yeah, this
2: is a cool bird for sure. Here's a off the wall question. Yeah. are you ever going to do the kalima warbler hike
1: i want to one of these days but that's a, a still a long drive from oklahoma so that's a, i haven't got down there yet texas, texas yeah yeah there's a couple other um there's some insects in the big bend area that are a little higher priority at the moment but if the timing works out overlapping i'd love to try and get that one
2: if we do the kalima warbler hike are you in i mean, I think that we were talking to someone about this. They said you can camp at the top of it. So I think that oh, would cool. be the best move to go camp at the top just so that you don't have to climb all the way up there and then try to climb all the way back.
0: Yeah, we can set up a black light, see what cool moths are out there. Ooh, Ooh mothin'.
2: Awesome. I love it.
0: Yeah, because it's like 10 miles up and then 10 miles back, right?
1: That's how
2: it usually yeah. goes.
1: Yeah, then we wouldn't have to start at 1 a.m. or however they normally do it. I
2: think we start at 12 just go when it's the hottest out, you know.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's um, of course, <laughs> it's up high, so I'm sure it's not as hot. If as you
2: down. probably that's what probably is tough, too. You probably have to bring like some warm clothes. You probably have to like hike up, either carrying in like a pack some warm clothes. Because I bet when you get to the top, especially if you're gonna camp up there, like it would probably be cold. I would imagine you'd have to bring a
1: lot of water if there's no like campsite or anything up there, too.
0: I don't know. That's something I just have no idea what it's even It's like apparent to me I've now we need it. to
2: do more research.
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, if we're going or there. Just wing we're... it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can
1: just, just go hope for the best.
0: Do you have a uh, coolest birding experience from Wisconsin? Wasn't prepared for that. You got him. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Got you um, questions.
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I saw a lot of cool birds when I was there. I always like coming back in the winter and just seeing what rarities are around right now that I can like chase that are fairly close to home. Um this year I really had a lot of fun with the gray crowned rosy finch. So I'm sure you might have talked about this or people will see it on your YouTube channel or whatever. That's all we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Every single podcast episode has just been the gray crowned rosy finch. I'm
2: just like, yeah, we hiked that bluff Devil's Lake and got the gray crowned rosy finch. I don't
0: know. I don't know if we mentioned it here. I was on the looking at birds podcast and we talked about it there. Uh, but for those that want to check it out, it's in the first of the year birding challenge video, or there's another video we recently put out where it's specifically going to find. We so talk finch. about it all the time. Yeah. Well.
1: Anyway, to sum it up, there's a gray crowned rosy finch, which is um this beautiful like pink and gray and black finch that's found normally in the rocky mountains um and there's at least one maybe up to 3
0: currently I mean, there's just one
2: yeah we think there's one okay because it was
0: interesting
2: okay. not to cut you off but it was interesting because we were there with a bunch of people and we heard the call and it sounded like it was coming from some other direction and people were like, oh, it has to be a second one because you can't see its you know, mouth moving or anything. But I looked at the video and it was chirping. And the call for hmm. some reason sounded like it was coming from off in the probably distance. Probably
0: just like the bluff acoustics or something. But it, nobody's seen two at the same time. Hmm. So it, it just seems like it's probably one.
2: But it is weird how much okay. it seems to move around. Because sometimes people will be like, yeah, I just had it over here where it will be almost like a
1: quarter mile away. And then it's it yeah. somewhere else. So I
2: don't know. But we think one.
1: Anyway, super cool finch. It's up on the beautiful bluffs at Devils Lake State Park. And when we got there, it was me and uh, my mom and my sibling and there were like probably a dozen other birders up there all walking back and forth along the one trail looking for it. And we were up there for about a good hour and a half or so. And I was like, I'm just going to go a little bit farther um down this trail and see if I can find it. And I got maybe 100 yards or so and it flushes off the trail about, it was like two feet from me, flushed about three more feet. So it was just like right in front of me, just sitting there eating seeds. Um, so I called up Em on the phone and was like, hey, get everyone over here. I found it. And then we just sat there watching it and taking photos for a good 40 minutes before it took off. So that was a really cool experience. Plus, the towns and solitaires calling back and forth. And Devil's Lake in the wintertime is always a fun place to bird.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of Townsend Solitaires up there this year. Like, sometimes you go up there and it's a struggle to find one. But lately it's been, you know, you go up there and you can see, like, have six different encounters. I don't know if there's six birds, but you'll walk the bluff and you see, you know, six or hear six or so of them. But that great Crown Rosie Finch was a goober because it was just content to be in front of everybody who was there. To the point where, you know, people that were taking pictures were like hoping it goes on this rock or like hoping it goes into this little patch of sunlight there. You know, usually with birds, you're kind of like, I hope I see it. And then it was like, I hope it does (laughs) these specific things right now as I've been watching it for, you know, 40 minutes already and it hasn't gone anywhere.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but with us, it was very content to be in the shade. Like it barely stepped out into the sun and it would turn around and just hop back into the shade. So. Getting photos of it was a challenge, but also everyone taking pictures was like three feet away. So it wasn't that bad.
2: It was funny because there was somebody who lives in the area who said he goes up there all the time. And, you know, it was the first time we saw it. So we were just excited to see it. And we're like, oh, we probably shouldn't get too close, you know, because it'll flush. And he's like, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can go as close as you want to it. I was was (laughs) like, oh,
0: okay. Yeah. Yeah, those birds that don't care. Like, I do wonder, I I don't know, they don't seem like it, but, you know, there's other birds where if you see it, like, it feels like a mile away, it can sense your eyes on it, and then it gets out of there.
2: Like the Rosie Fincher hardcore in a David Goggins way that other birds aren't. Like, it just doesn't care. It's just like, I can fight you, and I don't care.
0: Was it getting chased by a Townsend Solitaire when you were there? Because we saw it get chased once. It wasn't. Do you know if anyone got photos of
1: the two of them together because i heard a few reports of the towns and solitaires
0: harassing it and that would be such a cool photo we saw it happen once but we didn't get a photo or yeah, anything. it I was kind of like when we first saw it like we were looking from probably the not the david goggins a
2: birds, zone because he probably wouldn't let a towns and solitaire chase him around i
0: don't know i feel like you just wanted to name drop david goggins <laughs> i think that we got to find out what a david <laughs> do you goggins know who God david is? goggins is alex i have no idea it's like this hardcore what is he a marine it's not a hardcore, like, ex-military guy. I think it was the Marines. He's, like, all about, like, when you think you can't do it, just keep going. Just do it anyway. Like, really hardcore kind of guy. He would do the Kalima Warbler hike, and then he'd be, like, when he was done, he'd be like, no, we do it five times. He's an
2: ultra runner, <laughs> so he would do the Kalima Warbler hike, yeah, like, several times, probably, like, 100, and then keep going. Well, yeah, you need to have the highest number of checklists of Kalima <laughs> Warbler on eBird. You got to just keep going up and down. You have to do a checklist from the bottom in the start of the day and then checklist from the top at the end of the day and then continue that trend so that people know
0: you're just going up and Wouldn't down. That'd be an interesting <laughs> video. Like I did the Kalima Warbler hike every day for 365 days.
2: That'd be like one of those days you're absolutely counting on it to go viral or else you've just wasted a year of your life. But you're You'd probably an ripped, amazing day. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, it would you would be
1: should... so fit by the end of that. But <laughs> yeah, imagine like in the winter when it's like raining and like snowy or whatever. And like, you, you know, you're not getting the Kalima Warbler and you just have to do the hike for the views. That'd <laughs> be depressing some
2: cool stuff up there in the winter, though, I would imagine. Because, I mean, it is like a mountain. So clearly this is something we need to learn more about. Well, in the future. I definitely want to do it at some point, probably when we get like some subscriber count that requires celebrating like that would be a funny celebration. I also feel like we'd have to do like a serious workout program beforehand, just get like severely ripped before we go.
1: I
0: have like a good training montage going at the start of the video <laughs> leading up to the Kalima Warbler oh, Heights. Funny story There, like sometimes companies will ask us if we'll do product reviews. And there was one time a company randomly was like, Hey, would you be interested in reviewing this like exercise bike? And I was like, sure but we'd have to make it into some birding video like you know we could be training for something and then i think they ghosted us and never got back to us again (laughs) but i was like we can train for the kalima warbler hike it's just like videos on this exercise bike you gotta reach out to them and then just like every like
1: five minutes during the kalima warbler hike we just gotta be like oh i'm so glad i had that
0: blank exercise bike (laughs) Otherwise, I'd be dying right now. exercise bike for allowing me to (laughs) complete. I think we
2: should reach out to like some fitness YouTuber and be like, "Will you train us as a crossover episode?"
0: (laughs) (laughs) That would be pretty funny. Uh, So going back to birding, I always think this is interesting. Have you ever had any really sketchy experiences out in the field, or like you mean like paranormal or squatchy experiences? If there are, but like you know, just anywhere you were like a little creeped out or something crazy happened
1: um i'll address the sasquatch thing first not yet but southeast oklahoma has an annual sasquatch festival and people go out on tours looking for them so if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen in oklahoma Oh, okay. um as far as other sketchy things i generally haven't run into that many like, weird people out in the woods or anything like that um some of our Glade sites that I do research at, you get people on the trail cameras. And some of them are probably just out there drinking or whatever, but I haven't seen anything too weird yet. Um, but I'm also allergic to paper wasps, or at least had an allergic reaction to them a while back when I lived in Wisconsin. Um, so any trip can turn a little dangerous or sketchy, depending on what insects are around. Do you carry an EpiPen then? I do. Um, I just got some new ones, actually, this Christmas break. But I had a four years expired one for the longest time. Uh, and then I got stung by a few in Arizona this past summer. And it was a different species. I don't know if the venom makeup was different or what, but I had no reaction at all. So like, that was good. But yeah. that could have been really bad, too. <laughs> yeah, we're we're glad you're updated and Here's ready. It
2: a good question for you. What's the yeah. most painful sting you've ever received?
1: Paper wasp. And not oh. just because of the allergic reaction. Like they have a genuinely painful sting. Um and usually I don't get hit by much else. I've been stung by bumblebees, honeybees, sweat bees of various kinds, and a couple other smaller wasps, but paper wasp is the worst one I've been hit with. Tarantula hawk wasp. When are you gonna do it? I'm, I'm not doing it.
0: You <laughs> do there so when we were in Oklahoma, we were with our friend Michael too. Didn't didn't you guys have a teacher that would sting himself? With them? yeah, that, that's my advisor actually. So how's, how's if, he doing with that? he's still
1: doing it. Um, he's branched out into non wasps. He still likes it if I can catch him a cicada killer or something like that. But uh one class we it was rainy and drizzly, so I couldn't find him anything. So he just had one of the students bring in a bark scorpion and stung it, stung himself with that. Wow. What does he do this for? Is it like the end of the semester? So it's an incentive thing. If they get above a 75% on um, an exam, he will sting himself with something. Does Dang. he do
2: tarantula hawk
0: wasp too? Is it David he... Goggins? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, nice question. He... He
1: hasn't, um, to the David Goggins one. He has not done the tarantula hawk wasp in class that I have seen, but I know he's done them before, and I'm sure he'd do one if I caught one. But they're not real common around still water, so I haven't had that chance yet.
2: We were down in New Mexico, and I've experienced this in some other places as well. I think in Texas, there's sometimes you get like a bush that just has like 15 tarantula hawk wasps on it. They would just like walk right by, and you'd be like, "Ooh, that could have been bad."
1: Yeah, they're not aggressive at all because they're solitary, so they don't have a nest to defend like your paper wasps or your yellow jackets do. So they like you can touch them on the bush, and they won't do anything really? to you. What um, I I went to an thing. I went to an entomology conference in Arizona one time, and they said that in past years they did this thing called the Triantula hawk wasp challenge. Because the males don't sting, the females do. So it was to test how good you were at identifying the males is you just go up to the bush, you grab one, and if it's a male, you're fine. If it's a female, you get stung. (laughs) Um, And then they had to talk to the conference participants and ask them to please not do that.
2: (laughs) Entomologists are wild.
0: Yeah, and you guys must have some crazy parties and stuff. Yep. Yeah, we do. He's like, I can't say no more more than that. That's all I have to say about
2: (laughs) that.
1: (laughs) What happens at the Entomological Society of America meetings stays at the ESA meetings.
2: (laughs) Oh, I remember too. I was thinking about this while you were talking. Another time that you were birding with us was actually at the Saxon Bog.
1: Yes. Yeah, that was my first time birding with you guys. Yes,
2: because our friend Bill. He just is like, yeah, I invited this dude named Alex who posts in the birding groups and stuff. I still don't know how that ended up happening. He's just like, yeah, I invited him, so he's coming.
1: Yeah, I don't remember exactly how that went down either. I know I had been like in contact with him and you guys about like trying to take a look at those like long-eared owls in southeast Oklahoma, um, um, and then somehow I ended up just getting invited to go to Saxon Ball, so that was fun. That's not what happened. That was a great trip. Yeah. Yeah, that was really cool. I went back there with my family two winters ago, I think. Um, didn't get the, any great gray owls, which was a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, but got my life for a bohemian wax wing and my first good view of a boreal chickadee. Um, and I think there was one other thing that I had that time that I didn't have the time before. So it was fun.
2: Yeah, you build on but, a boreal chickadee excursion that day because you went home
0: with Rob. I did. Really. Didn't you guys yeah, see like, I, crossbills or something, though? Yeah,
1: we got red and white wing crossbills as we came back through Wisconsin. I
0: mean, that's pretty cool.
2: But it's not, a boreal, it's not a boreal chickadee, though. We had to work really hard for that boreal chickadee. It was, like, snowing, and we were up in, like, the highest point in Minnesota, and eventually there was one along the
0: roadside.
1: Yeah, that was cool that you got it, though. And you guys got some pretty decent videos
0: of it, didn't you? It was, mm. like, decent for what it was, like, for what the encounter was. Yeah. You would at least tell what it was. So
2: yeah, but cool. we'll probably talk extensively about the Saxon Bog at some other episode, but we saw, like, everything when we were there together with our group because we got the boreal owl was awesome, several yeah. great gray owls, The um, we got black-billed magpie, which is, like, not really uncommon there, but it's not common. Um, yeah. retoed woodpecker, that's not usually the- there. And blackback, and blackback, and we Sharp got tailed, hawk owl, sharp-tailed grouse, sharp-tailed grouse, yeah, yeah. We got pretty much you everything we wanted. Big.
1: Big. Pine
0: grouse, pine yeah. grouse,
1: Corey Redpoll.
2: We did get Corey yeah. Bull. It's still yeah. a species
0: for now. Yeah. yeah. Um. Do you currently have a nemesis bird? I don't actually.
1: You need um, a new one. Yeah. What's man? the I know. You? We'll pick you one. <laughs> yeah.
0: We can okay. Pick you one, and that'll
1: be my new nemesis bird. Oh. But for
0: Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, it'll be some like, we'll just spin a wheel with all the birds. and It'll be some species in like Senegal or something I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, my nemesis <laughs> bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could hold that as a nemesis bird for a long time.
1: Um, until very recently, a uh, limpkin in Oklahoma was a nemesis bird. I'd go to Tulsa um, to look for a warbler at Oxley Nature Center. And then as we were leaving, the first limpkin there of the year would show up. We went to Great Salt Plains with a whole group birding. And the day after we left, limpkin showed up. So I was not participating in hot Lumpkin summer until <laughs> this November. Um, and I got two of them in Oklahoma. And then I got one in Louisiana. And then in December, on the last day of the year, I got another two Olympkins in Tulsa. So I got them now pretty well, but it took a while to
0: get there. We're glad you turned your sad limpkin summer around. Yeah. Do you have rhinoceros auklet yet? I do. Oh, how about tufted
2: puffin? I do not have tufted That's puffin. That's your new nemesis bird. Perfect.
0: <laughs> uh, where'd you go in Louisiana? So,
1: uh, my we were working on getting my grandma to every state because she's been to every state except Louisiana and some of the New England states. So, my family and her came down for uh, Thanksgiving break, and then we just drove down there just to Shreveport area since that was like the corner closest to Oklahoma and stayed overnight there, did a little birding. Um, I got brown headed nuthatch, which gave me all four nuthatch species in the US for the year, which was fun. Nice. Um, And then drove back.
0: Okay, that's cool that you did that for your grandma. Did she get them all now? It still needs to go to New England, but that'll probably be
1: next spring or fall, probably next year. Okay, cool. We wish her luck on her quest.
2: Thanks. And we wish you luck on your quest to see
0: the tufted puffin finally.
1: I know. Yeah, I got to head west now, I guess.
0: <laughs> Tough. <laughs> I was, uh, so since we had the gray crown rosy finch, I was looking at different places that got the other rosy finch species. And we yeah. were saying it's funny because it's like black rosy finch and then isn't it brown capped? I think it's so there So there's like no... Um, thing they follow where it's like gray crown black crown yeah it's like they're all different (laughs) but i was trying to find the different places where you could get all of them it looks like at least there's a place in montana maybe and then a place
1: in crest new mexico
0: is where a lot
1: of people get them um i've been wanting to make a trip out there in the winter maybe i'll do it this winter maybe i'll wait till next winter but um it's right outside of albuquerque and there's just a guy who runs the feeders up there and just keeps feeding them all winter long, and you can get all three rosy finches real easy up there, from what I've heard. That sounds awesome. Maybe we
0: should just fly there, spend a day, and then fly, fly <laughs> you Get some of those Southwest Airlines deals. Hey.
1: Yeah, those mountains also have like Clark's Nutcracker and Juniper Titmouse and some other fun stuff. So it could be yeah, a good nice. trip.
2: Clark's Nutcracker was our nemesis bird for a while, or at least my. No longer. Bird. Yeah, no yeah. longer. We got some really good views of them at Crater Lake.
0: Were you in that could be a nemesis the bird for me? One? What did you say? Were you in town for the Wisconsin one? I was not. The one in Madison. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I wasn't back yet. Madison had it good for like, was that October or November that they had like
0: a Lincoln and and Rufus hummingbird or Allen's and black-bellied whistling duck. Rufus. Yep. Yeah. Rufus hummingbird, black-bellied whistling duck. Black Clark's cracker. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, none cool. of those stuck
1: around until I came back. <laughs> that's
0: cool. OK. Um. So for newer people getting into birding, do you have any advice for them, having done it for quite some time now?
1: Yeah, I would say, like, try and get involved with the birding community. Like, join whatever kind of social media you use, the Facebook groups, or get on Bird Talk, or watch some of your guys' YouTube videos then also meet people in real life. And like, if you can have people that can mentor you both on bird identification and birding in general, um, that can help a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, do you feel like you had a mentor or did you just kind of learn on the fly? I had a few. So my grandma was
1: definitely a mentor. Um, also at UW Platteville, one of the professors there who taught ornithology, uh, really encouraged my birding and, kind of acted as a mentor to
0: me there too. So yeah, I I had a few. Cool. Awesome. Anything else you would like to add to the podcast listeners? I don't think so. Cool. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us, Alex. We really enjoyed having you. I feel like just hearing about all this stuff makes me excited to go back to Oklahoma at some point and definitely need to learn more about doing the Colima Warbler hike and uh, maybe, you know, (laughs) getting those rosy finches and you got to go get that tufted puffin. Sounds good.
1: Yeah, next time I see you, I'll have a Tufted it mate. Awesome. Well, thanks
0: we'll so see. much for watching, everybody, uh, this episode of the Badgerland Birding Podcast. <laughs>